I'm your host, Madeline, and welcome to The Courageous Podcast, where you will hear inspirational stories of everyday people who will share how they found strength, hope, and faith in the midst of adversity. Let's get ready to be inspired. Today I have Sofia Gonzalez, also known as Mrs. G. She is a wife, mother, high school English teacher, college professor, published author, and speaker. She's obtained a double master's from the University of Phoenix and St. Xavier University in secondary education. She's been in education for over 10 years and has a deep passion for students who are disadvantaged. She also educates and empowers future teachers and believes teachers need as much empowerment as students do. She began her career in a gang-infested, impoverished neighborhood in Chicago, where her first job consisted of students who were expelled or dropped out of the Chicago public school system. Out of her tireless commitment to education and a heart for the underprivileged, she started a nonprofit called Project 214, which was inspired by her first classroom, Room 214. I want to welcome you, welcome you to the Courageous Podcast, Sophia. It is so cool that I am here. I am so deeply honored to be here, and I'm excited to start this conversation. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have Mrs. G in the house. And so for those that don't know you, they're in for a treat. Uh, You were connected to me through someone that was recently on the podcast, Miss Taina. And she said, hey, I know this amazing teacher who has a, a tremendous story. And she sent me a video and it just kind of chronicled a little bit about who you are, where you've been and some of the things that you've done. And I said, oh yeah, I need to have her on the podcast. I have a heart for teachers and I know the difficult work that you put in, the time that you put in, the sacrifices that teachers put in, especially now during this season of this pandemic. And so obviously I want to highlight and just celebrate teachers every chance that I get. And so Sophia, I wanted you to kind of tell us a little bit about you. There are reasons that teachers decide to go into education, and I wanted you to tell me a little bit about your upbringing and and a little bit about your story. First of all, thank you for those words. I really appreciate it. I mean, it's such a breath of fresh air, and it's like a glass of water to my soul. So I was born in the city of Chicago. I stayed there for a few years. When I was five or six, I moved into the suburbs and I had stayed there until I got married. And so I was born and raised pretty much in the burbs. It was there where I had experienced a couple of things. I mean, I had some great memories there growing up as a kid, but I also had some negative memories. It was when I was in maybe about fourth or fifth grade, where I had experienced my first encounter with racism in a suburb that was mainly white families, Irish families. I was definitely standing out like a sore thumb. And I didn't really understand it at that time, but I felt just like negative energy. And I remember being on the playground um, during recess one day And a girl who I thought was my friend called me a racial slur and slammed my head against the slide. And I'll never forget that moment. It was like time stood still. And she just kept going on about how I was Hispanic and how that was ugly and 
called me a spick for a lack of better term. And I remember throwing sand in her face because I felt like I needed to like stand up for myself. And it was just a negative moment that I had went through. But looking back and really thinking through some of my life's work now, I felt like that was a seed that Mm -hmm. was planted that I would later on use as a fuel that would fan the flame to advocate for civil rights and those without a voice. When I was 14 years old, my parents split up. So divorce was something that was a big trauma for me. My older brother and I were left with my mother and my father eventually moved to Washington, D.C. And it was there where I was really on a path. I mean, Madeline, when I say a self-destructive path, I mean, it was textbook, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Climbing out of windows, lying to my mom, ditching school. Imagine, I'm Miss G now, but I was that kid (laughs) that I'm over here trying to reach. And that was me. That was me, the lost, the broken, the confused child that needed somebody to just kind of grab them by the shoulders and say, listen, (laughs) you are on the wrong path, girlfriend. That's right. Let's see if we could turn a corner. I remember though, around that time, me hanging out with my cousin who was about the same age. Again, partners in crime, partying, hanging out, boys, lying to our parents. And it was just a pretty destructive path that I was going on. And one day my aunt I don't know if this is something that runs in everybody's family, or maybe this is just something that runs in mine, but I have this aunt. (laughs) She's she's a special aunt, Madeline. She's one of those special individuals that when you see her coming, you're like, oh, here comes Titi Lydia. Here she comes. And I remember her saying, I am going to get you and your cousin for a day and we're going to my church. And like, I looked at her and I'm like, church, Titi, we don't go to church. Okay. And she's like, that's all right, but you're going to come with me. And so I remember Madeline as clear as day. I was 15 years old and I walk into this little storefront church in the city of Chicago. And I was immediately overtaken by this overwhelming sense of peace and also confusion I was confused that everybody was lifting their hands. I was confused that they were crying for no reason. And then all of a sudden, a man on the altar began to talk about this man named Jesus. And he was reading from the book of Matthew, I'll never forget. Hmm. And I was just so mesmerized and I was so taken And I was so overwhelmed in that moment. And I looked at my cousin and she was just like doing her own thing. She was like trying to crack jokes. And she was like, look, like, I can't wait to get out of here. I'm hungry. And I remember pausing her and being like, just, just give me a second. Right. And I was just so captivated in that moment. And it was in that moment where I wanted what everyone was experiencing. And it wasn't too long after that, that I gave my life to the Lord at 15 years old. But unfortunately, my cousin still stayed on that path. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I'll never forget that encounter because it was so monumental. I said yes, and she said no. And to me, that was the beginning of the end for her. And unfortunately, she got into drugs really quickly, and um, she got into harder drugs. And before we knew it, she was shooting up. She was selling her body. And she started to bear children. 
Her body was in the morgue for a few days. It was unidentified. She was a Jane Doe Madeline. Wow. And that just devastated our family and our family kind of sprung into action. And we ended up taking in five of the six of her children. And my mom had taken in two. I have two siblings and I'm just so grateful that my mom made the decision to adopt them. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so grateful that they're in our lives and we still keep in touch with all of them. But that was a critical moment for me, especially since it started my journey of faith and of hope and of grace. So that's just kind of like the backdrop of my upbringing. That's amazing. You know, that's a painful story, but a very familiar story to to many, many people. And of course, you know, you wanting to help her and be there for her and support her, that must have been devastating, not only to you and your family. Thank God that your mom had such a heart to want to help and support and raise these kids. But I'm guessing that this was the moment that you decided that you were going to become an advocate for the broken and possibly work with young kids. What was your thought process during this time? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because again, like so many seeds were being planted on the soil of my life. And I didn't even realize that so many parts of my journey would go back to water that. Prior to my cousin dying, my aunt was constantly searching for me to go look for her. So I was literally going in abandoned buildings. I was going in very dangerous places within the city and pleading with her. And that really just planted that seed of, man, I want to be of help to others. And Mm -hmm. so I started really working with the youth at the local church and I became a youth leader and it just kind of sprung up from there. So, you know, you're heading down this path of wanting to be that support person for other young people and the youth. And thankfully that you found the Lord when you did. Tell me about your path as far as becoming a teacher and working in the Pilsen area. So prior to me going and getting my teacher certification, I was in the nonprofit world for many years while I was getting my BA and then eventually my master's and my teacher certification. So I was already working for a nonprofit called Caris that actually got funding from the state to go into schools all over from the city to the suburbs and go into the health classes and talk abstinence, marriage, relationships, dating, and healthy choices. And so it was there as a guest speaker at the time where I was like, yo, I love this. There is an energy here. There is something happening. There is this momentum that just rises within me when I get in front of teenagers and I was digging it and they were digging me. And there was this reciprocity of energy and excitement and just me wanting to be there to pour life into them. And it was there where I knew I'm like, I think I want to do this. I think I want to get out of the nonprofit sector and I think I want my own classroom. And that's exactly what I did. So you were definitely in your element yes. and you found that place where you said, hey, God, this is where I can be used. I can make a difference here. And and not too many people are courageous enough to say, hey, I'm going to dive in. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to dive in and I'm going to allow God to use me in this way. And so 
I know that you had some difficult moments when you became a teacher in the Pilsen area. Tell me about some of the things that you experienced and the things that you saw. Yeah, for sure. So in 2009, I was ready for my first teaching job. And sure enough, uh, second chance charter uh, within the heart of the Pilsen area, little village, called me and gave me the job on the spot after the interview. And so there I was nestled in the heart <laughs> of the hood, Cermak and 26, maybe about two or three blocks away from 26 and Cal, which was a county. Right. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. My, uh, the name of my charter was called the Latino Youth High School, one of the only charter schools in the city that dealt with kids who have either been dropped out or kicked out of the school system. And these kids, Madeline aged out at 21 years old. Mm -hmm. so these are kids that were coming in with four credits, three credits, no credits. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was a baptism by fire. No training and no master's program, no certification could have prepared me for what I was about to experience. My first couple of years teaching, I ended up burying my students instead of graduating them. And I was exposed to so many disparities that these at-risk youth were going through. And I'm not just talking, they had some truancy issues, they had motivation issues. No, Madeline, they're coming in as young parents with two, three kids. They're coming in with criminal backgrounds, with ankle bracelets. Oh my and, goodness. and some of them were eventually charged with first and second degree murder. I did not make that up. Mm. And my first funeral, Madeline, I do not wish on my worst enemy. It was excruciating. It was so heartbreaking. And I'll never forget the phone call of my student telling me that my student had been shot at a block party. They shot him in the head and he was dead on arrival. That was so traumatic for me, just seeing all my students seeing them with their spray painted tie dyed shirts that said rest in peace or rest in paradise. At one point, my students wanted to walk up to the casket mm. <laughs> to see my student, to see their friend wow. that had been murdered just days prior. He was in a gang and he was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And to see him in the casket, he just looked so different and so distant and so gone. And my students, I was holding on to them. They were just hiccuping sobs of sorrow. And I was holding them up. And I remember looking up because it was in a Catholic church. And I remember peering up to the stained glass windows, this beautiful depiction of Jesus as the shepherd. And I clearly heard in my spirit, you know, you have to do something about this, right? Mm. And it was almost like a summon. Madeline, it, it was almost like a commander giving his soldiers an order. Wow. And I knew right then and there in front of my DC students that I needed to become more than just a teacher. And quite frankly, that was just the beginning of what would be an episodic, cinematic, unexplainable series of events that led me to the trajectory that is now. And I'll just pause right there because I could really keep going. <laughs> Whew. Oh, my goodness. First of all, it's terrifying to think that you're becoming a teacher. You, you know, you, you love education. You want to make a difference in kids' lives. But like you said, nothing in a school 
or a book can teach you real life, especially in so many of these difficult areas, you know, in the city of Chicago and cities all over the country. And so the fact that you said, hey, I'm going to answer the call as scary as this is. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but God, I know that you're pressing upon me and I have to do it is truly inspiring in itself. And so I know that you shared with me that the students would share things with you, that you were part of like police investigations and, and that you suffered trauma and that you said, hey, I felt like I suffered PTSD because of everything that I had seen, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, there was a point in the school year where I felt like I was starting to change, meaning I was reacting strangely to loud sounds. Sirens began to startle me. I didn't really appreciate people behind me. And I remember going into the office of our school psychologist. I was having trouble sleeping. I was having nightmares of my students that were on the brink of death. And I'm there in my dreams trying to save them and I can't reach them. And telling the school psychologist my symptoms and I'll never forget that conversation. It was as clear as day. He's like, Mrs. G, uh, it seems like you're symptomatic for post-traumatic stress disorder with stress and anxiety. And uh, sprinkle in a little bit of vicarious trauma. What are you doing in terms of your interactions with your students? And I'm like, well, doc, you know, I have to attend the funerals. I mean, these are my kids. Right. And, he, and he's taking notes. He's like, tell me what else. I'm like, well, um, just recently, one of my students' brothers was murdered and I needed to raise money for the funeral. And I had to drop off the money in like a really bad neighborhood. And, and that was the other night. And he's like, Miss G, here's what's going to happen. Either you figure out a way to circumnavigate all the trauma that your students are going through, or this is going to be the beginning of the end for you psychologically. Mm. Wow. You need to make a decision. And it was there where I really had to think about and circle back to my mental health and my well being because it, I was really starting to spiral, Madeline, and it was impacting everything. It was impacting my marriage. It was impacting me being a mom. It was very, very overwhelming and very stressful at that particular time. I know you told me as hard as this was, that you knew you needed to change something and that you needed to focus on your well-being, but that you still had to help and take care of your kids and do something to make yeah. a difference in their lives. You were still willing to go and work in a different area. And so you said you went to Inglewood and at that point you were pregnant with your second child. What changed during that time? Yeah. So I spent um, three years in Pilsen Little Village. And at that particular moment in time, the um, gangs were at war within the neighborhood. So the Latin Kings and the Tutu Boys were at straight up war. And I was literally in the middle of this gang retaliation, vicious cycle. And it just got literally and physically increasingly dangerous to stay where I was at. And as I was mentioning, just really absorbed in the lives of my kids. And before I talk about Englewood, one of the reasons why I had stayed those few years is because, again, like you were saying, it did something in me. And I felt like these are the kids in the system that are so labeled and that are so stereotyped. And yes, they were troubled. Yes, they made bad decisions. But I don't 
think that too many adults in their lives took the time or the system. We could talk about how broken the system is, but that's another podcast. That's right. right. <laughs> we need reform all the way around. But again, I digress. I felt like I needed to be an advocate for them, that I needed to be a voice for them because they didn't have a voice. They were labeled, they were disenfranchised, they were marginalized. These were the kids that were ousted from their public school and obviously rightfully so. But what I had come to discover was that they were survivors, Madeline. They had survived things that most adults cannot handle. And when you sit and when you listen to them and you hear their narratives, there was such beauty and there was such humanity in these kids. And I wanted to capture their stories as best as I could and tell their stories wherever I went. That is exactly what I did. That's amazing. I had made a decision that for the sake of my health, for the sake of my safety, that I needed to kind of switch gears. But it's interesting because then I go to Englewood, okay, which is considered the murder capital of Chicago. I'm like, Lord, we're supposed to retreat. And you over here sending me deeper into the neighborhood. What do I look like? Exactly. Oh my God. Somebody needs to buy me a bulletproof vessel. There I am, 55th and State, sandwiched between Englewood and back of the yards. And Miss G got to up her ante. Okay. And this time, as you were mentioning, I was pregnant uh, with our second child. And this was a very tumultuous time. There were things that were going on in my life personally and spiritually and in my marriage. And it was actually a very difficult pregnancy. And where I went to go teach was a very toxic environment as well. And it was there where I lost my first female student, which was very, very painful. And it seemed like, Madeline, everywhere I went, (laughs) the issues were the same and the violence and the loss and the grief. And here's what I came to understand, that if we are constantly confronted with issues that are the same, then maybe those are the issues that we need to do something about. That's right. Uh, But I didn't really fully embrace that at the time because in this particular season, it was about survival for me. My husband uh, was a pastor at the time. And because we were experiencing such personal issues, it really impacted our community of faith. It really impacted our home. And we had a seven-year-old son at the time. He's 14 now. And there was just too many moving pieces. And it was really literally uh, one of the toughest seasons of my adult life. It was overwhelming. It was traumatic. And it was about survival. And I really needed to stand back and say, I need to go from being the teacher to the student. I went from being a counselor to the counselee. And even in that season, we had to seek help. And that was one of the best decisions that we made to get the support around us and to really help us get through a pretty difficult time. It's obvious that at this point in your life, you know, you were mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausted. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you decided to take a little bit of a break and take care of your family. And if our first ministry is not where it needs to be, then the Lord definitely doesn't want you to sacrifice your family. He will get you to where you need to go at the right time. But, you know, you need to be filled, you need to be rested to be able to serve Him and serve people the way that that you do. And that passion and that excitement that you have when you talk about your students, I mean, my God, I know that comes from the Lord. I mean, Mm. 
He is in you. He has given you the seed and it is continuing to grow. And one of the quotes that you said to me, which blew me away, and I just wanted to touch on it before we go on to some of these additional questions that I typically ask on the podcast is that I brought biblical justice and social justice together. And I love that you said that because in our conversation, you said, listen, a lot of the issues that are going on in the world now can be healed and mended with the word of God and with the love of God. You know, tell me what that means to you, bringing biblical and social justice together. Ooh, Madeline, you just opened up Pandora's box for your (laughs) listeners. Girl, you just don't know what you asked. That is like the platform by which I live and move and breathe and have my being. Amen. Just to give a little bit of context, circling back to our community of faith at the time, we were called The Room, and it was obviously the best of times and the worst of times, right, starting my teaching journey, but it was also a time of great revelation for me, Madeline. God had really exposed to me these social injustices that these kids were facing and as a society. And I brought some of those issues into the church and I really began to lift my voice and elevate this idea that the church is the best solution to any societal ills that our world will and will be facing because we come in the name that is above every name. We come in the name of the one who will send us and his name is Jesus. Through the power of the spirit and Abba Father undergirding all of this activity. And I really felt compelled to turn her face, the body of Christ, to turn her face to the outskirts and say, look, it is our social responsibility to address poverty, to address illiteracy, to address these kids that are in the system that God personally introduced me to. And I want to invite you into this journey. I want to invite you into this conversation because the Psalms are clear and there's so many verses on justice. Don't get me started. But one of my favorite ones is in Psalms 106, verse three, where David said, blessed are those who maintain justice, who constantly do what is right. We serve a God of justice who is after the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the people that are put on society's margins and gutters. And those are the people with the life of Jesus that he ultimately came to reach really with that message. It was like this dual message. And also at the time I was doing some mission work during that season that we had just talked about from Pilsen to Englewood. And I was traveling to uh, different places from around the world. And I had discovered that, man, my work in the classroom and my work in the mission field, they can merge. And that's exactly what I felt that my calling was to merge these two fronts, biblical and social justice, because ultimately in my mind, and according to a lot of scripture, they're one in the same. Hmm. Amen. Oh my goodness. You're over here preaching and ministering and encouraging, and I'm getting emotional over here. I could visualize everything that you're saying and how important it is to our God to just love and encourage the least of these, because that's what he came to do for us. And we are truly blessed to know him and to use us in this way with such passion. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, what was your motivation, Mrs. G, to push through all of the things that you faced on this journey as a teacher, an advocate, and an activist? 
that's such a loaded and complex question. First and foremost, it was ultimately, you know, my faith that was my soul motivation to push through and knowing that it was all for naught. Something that I learned being in very dark and low places is that the God of the valley, I feel is almost more richer than the God of the mountaintop. Hmm. The rich, the intimate, the vivacious presence of God in those low moments in our lives. It's ironic to even say it, but I don't even regret being in a broken state because I came face to face with my God in such an intimate way. It changed me forever. And the revelation and the insight that I received from that place is just something that I'm still drawing from. It's like this well that I could now draw from because I dug so low. <laughs> I went <laughs> so low. There was a, such a time where I was barely functioning. Um, I would come home and I would curl up in my clothes and my shoes. I would cry for hours. I lost my appetite. I was literally just surviving. And these were moments that I felt God the most. But also the uh, birth of my second child. You know, God is so strategic. We had been trying to get pregnant for many years and we were not successful. So I needed a little bit of medical help. So I went in mm -hmm. and got some treatment and did some fertility treatments. And at first they didn't work. And it was so surprising that I got pregnant in this season because mm -hmm. I was between treatments. Right. <laughs> But here's what I came to understand. I would have fallen apart limb by limb, <laughs> hair follicle by hair follicle, had I not had that baby inside of me because she forced me to eat. She forced me to function. She forced me to get up in the morning. She forced me to go to all my doctor's appointments. She forced me to breathe. Mm. And when she was born in 2014, we named her Genesis for oh. a new and fresh beginning. And her name is tattooed on my arm with one of my verses that I clung to in that very low season. And it's Genesis 50, 20, where it said, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for my good and for the That's salvation right. of many lives. So my faith and my daughter were some of my biggest motivations and ultimately my life's work that I knew that I had to survive, Madeline. Right. I knew that I had to survive. And I knew that there were so many people on the hinge of my healing yes. and my obedience. See, we don't go through things just so that we can go through things. That's but oftentimes right. we go through things. So obviously God could break us and reshape us and mold us. But our survival is not just for us, but there are so many people waiting on the hinge of our healing, waiting yeah. on the hinge of our obedience. So we need to understand that, that it is not just about us getting through, but it is about us meeting the people that we were designed and orchestrated and anointed to reach. That's powerful. So looking back, is there anything that you think that you would have done differently on this journey? So looking back, I would have asked for help sooner and I would have really evaluated my life where I would have started to incorporate some of these disciplines that I now activate for my mental health and for self-care. I mean, I lost over 50 pounds. I went on a fitness journey. I turned to boxing. I turned to HIIT training and just, mm -hmm. I made a lot of life changes, but I wish awesome. that I would have done that a little bit sooner. Right. 
That's great, though. But those are things that now help you to continue to stay on track and, you know, to give you that support and that release that you need to take care of you first so that then you can in turn serve your family and serve others. I love that. That's really great advice. And so, you know, what was the reason that that you felt like you needed to share your story today? You know, I really want the listeners to understand uh, one important thing whether you were able to relate to my story with some details or huge chunks. I want the people that will be listening to the podcast to understand to never underestimate the power of human potential Mm. and the resilience that we as human beings have. We could be stretched and we could be broken under the rubble of trauma, but man, do we have the ability to survive? You can survive off of broken pieces. Mm. I don't know who that's for, Madeline. Amen. But you could survive off of broken pieces. Yes. And that is just such an important part of my story. It doesn't matter how low or how deep the cut, you will make it. You will supersede that. But it's a mindset. We have to choose. Can we turn our pain into purpose? Can we turn our disappointment into destiny? It is raw material for our future. If we could only see that we are capable of getting to the other side. That's right. I mean, we are not defined by our past, by our circumstances, but you know, you got to fight. I mean, you literally have to fight every day. If you are one of those broken pieces, you know, I love that God could still use you and you have to truly believe that God can use you. And if you would not have gone through everything that you went through, you wouldn't be where you are today. And I can't wait to share some of that. But I wanted to say, you know, if there was somebody out there, Mrs. G, that was listening to you right now, that has a passion passion like you do to either become a teacher, you know, that loves education, that wants to help and, and or wants to be an activist or an advocate for young people or just people in general that are hurting, you know, what would you say to them right now to encourage them? Yeah, I would definitely say, and it sounds so cliche, but despise not small beginnings. Mm-hmm. We right away want to jump into this national platform or a social media platform that has thousands of followers or a 501c3 and nonprofit status. I started out with number two pencils and a ream of paper. Okay. (laughs) From the dollar store. I am not playing. Humbly, humbly. Humbly and humbly. (laughs) But here's what I've come to discover. No act of kindness will ever go unfunded. No act of kindness will ever go under resource. If your heart is in the right place, and if you have a message, and if you are willing to champion for a cause, you see, we have got to be about something. We cannot live lives of indifference. If we're not angry about something, then we're not paying attention. That's right. Because there are so many social injustices that are plaguing our world that if we don't step into the conversation and say, I'm about to do something about this, then we're just going to perpetuate the problem. Indifference and being neutral is just Mm -hmm. as much the problem. Um, And it can start small, but it starts with action. It has to evolve from a thought and a wish to a tangible and practical step towards action action. See, one of the secrets to some of the things that I have been given in my life is I have been so persistent. I would create opportunities instead of wait for them. Mm. 
And that is the difference. (laughs) That's right. That is so true. I love that because a lot of times people just kind of want to wait around, right? And it's like, no, you have to get up and you got to do what you got to do to make it happen. And a lot of people don't understand that. You've got to start somewhere. And you know what? When you start on a journey like this, you don't have the answers. You don't have the financial backing. You may not have the resources or the education. It doesn't matter. God is going to use you and put you in the right place and open the doors if you truly have a heart and you love that cause and you know that you can make a difference. You know, he's going to make a way. And so I want to take a few minutes before we wrap up, obviously, to talk a little bit about your accolades because I feel like it's so amazing. And so I know that you were selected to be top educator of the year. And so what did that mean for you after everything that you had been through on this journey? You know, I'll tell you, Madeline, just to make a very long story short, I really felt like it was the book of Job. Like it was the last (laughs) chapter in the book of Job. Like it was the recompense, right? (laughs) It was the redemption. It was the, I'm going to reimburse you for all of your troubles, Ms. G. And it was just one of the greatest honors of my life. It was unbeknownst to me. It was a student that had nominated me to enter into this honor society called the National Society of High School Scholars. And from there, a lot of opportunities to apply for grants and scholarships and teacher of the year came across my email. And I'm like, hmm, I I wonder what that looks like. And it was a long process and all these steps. And I'm like, I don't know if I should really try to pursue this. This is a long shot. I mean, we're talking, I was up against over 50,000 teachers from all over the United States. Wow. But there was something inside of me, Madeline, that just compelled me to press that button, that send button. And when I got the email, I literally lost my marbles. I was (laughs) crying. Like my family thought somebody died. I was screaming. I was in the corner of my kitchen floor. And it was just a Kairos moment. And they Mm -hmm. sent me down to Washington, D.C. And I gave one of the most important speeches of my lifetime. And they thought that I was going to say thank you for this award. But no, he came through the back door and talked about Every kid in the system that needs a voice, every under-resourced teacher that needs an opportunity and needs support, and every minority, every kid that was told that they couldn't do it. Your zip code will not determine your destiny, not on my watch. All students matter, and the world is a global classroom, and everybody in this room will hear that message, and indeed, they did. Amen. I love it. I got like chills right now. I felt like I was in the room and I was there with you. And so obviously out of this tremendous experience, you created a nonprofit called Project 214. Tell us a little bit about that and what your mission is today. I started doing work in Central America, going to places like Panama and Costa Rica and going to my favorite place, which is El Salvador, which is where my husband's family is actually from. And I merged those two fronts and I took my story right from Pilsen 
And I took the mission field and I merged it. And I'm like, man, the world is like this global classroom. And I wanted to infect as many rooms and as many regions in the world as I could with the message of education for all, that Mm -hmm. it is a fundamental right. And it is not a privilege for the select few. And if you educate a child, you could literally change the world. Mm -hmm. And so Project 214 was birthed out of that burden of really championing for kids and for families, right, that were on the margins, both at a local level and at an international level. Before I knew it, it was a nonprofit. And I have a lot of support. Um, I have an incredible team that works alongside me with Project 214. And I'm just so blessed to have them. So we really want to promote this idea of fair, equal access to the classroom, elevating the teacher, elevating the student, empowering them, and just moving forward with that message. Amen. What a tremendous accomplishment. I love, I love how you're giving back through all of this adversity, how you didn't quit and how you said, hey, I'm going to create something as amazing as Project 214. And people are coming alongside you to bless you while you are blessing others. So before we go, I definitely want to ask, what does life look like for Sofia Gonzalez? So currently I am teaching in my home district. I'm excited to teach in the neighborhood where I live at Morton East, English teacher by day. So I continue to teach from a subject that I love. Project 214 is going strong. We just recently had applied for a $10,000 grant. We have a new campaign called Her Turn where we're going after the girl, Madeline. We are championing for the girl and girls' rights and fair access to the classroom because as we speak, 130 million girls are out of school because her pronoun is she. And we at Project 214 have a problem with that. And so if you have a praying, listening audience, tell your audience they need to come and pray for Ms. G and Project 214. Since my Teacher of the Year 2019, I got two more teacher recognitions in 2020. And I'm just deeply honored, Madeline, and just so grateful. And that has been my prayer to get me in the room. I'm also building a community of faith with some great people. And I'm just excited to continue that message of social justice, biblical justice, those two fronts colliding. I'm just excited um, to be alive in this time to continue to promote justice in all the earth. Amen. Well, if there's anybody out there that wants to connect directly with Sophia or Mrs. G and find out more about what she's doing, what's happening at Project 214, how can people connect with you? So Project 214 is on IG, Twitter, and Facebook. And you could follow us at underscore Project 214. I'm also on the IG platform at Mrs. G underscore P214. And I also have another Instagram if you just want to focus on uh, following my speaking and my conferences. That's underscore Sophia Speaks. And I do have a website, uh, project214.net. Please feel free to stop by any of those sites and reach out to me. I'm here for you. If you have any questions or if you want to partner with me, I am all about that life. 
Well, I encourage everyone that's listening to share this with other teachers, educators, advocates, anyone out there that might need some encouragement as they're on their journey to encourage and help others. I want to thank you. Thank you, Sophia, for being on the Courageous Podcast today. This was an amazing conversation. It truly blessed me. I know it's going to bless others. I pray blessings over your continued work that God will keep that passion and that fire inside of you burning till your last breath, girl, because I love everything that you're doing. I pray for your marriage, your children, and that God will continue to open the doors to help you get in the room and speak his truth into the world. I know that you're going to do great things and I thank you. Thank you so much, Madeline. It was an honor to be here. Hey, Courageous Community. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you were encouraged today. If you have a courageous story or want to connect with today's guest, email us at courageouspodcast2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Courageous Podcast. Until next time, continue to be strong and courageous. Courageous.